Previously on Afterlives with Kara Cooney. Yes. Because I'm being a good king and... And more good floods than bad because mm -hmm. of the way that geography works. It creates a positive feedback loop in which everyone is drinking the Kool-Aid and going, yup, this geography wants this king to be here. This mm -hmm. geography wants me to be a lowly sharecropper. Well, he's a god. Because he is a god. Oh. And it, so it allows a, a minority of people to control it rather easily mm -hmm. with nice ships and wood, cedar wood they bring in yep. from the Lebanon to go up and down and have control and, and get all the scarce resources and get all the labor and get their scribes out there to pull out resources. And so it's it's a confusing thing. Yeah, it seems almost hypocritical, but it's... It does, that you, we're living with the nature and the nature is what allows me to be king. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's super confusing, but that's the... That's one of the coolest parts of e about Egypt. Yep. Yeah. Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. So what is the, the story of where the Nile comes from? Yeah, there's multiple stories. Um, one of my favorites is at, uh, in, down in Nubia or, or at, at the first cataract yeah. where you can go to Biga Island or you can go to Philae mm -hmm. and you can see the source of the Nile represented in, in different ways. Yeah. And you can see like the actual rock cavern yeah. from which the noon is mm -hmm. meant to flow. And the noon is the, what, what do you say when you hear noon? What, what, it's like you, the primordial goo. Primordial goo. The, I think of like the primordial essence. Yeah. Like, the waters, the efflux. Yeah, the efflux. The, the big, um, pre-Big Bang. I mean, you can stuff. hear us all skirting around the the word um, ejaculation. Semen. But semen, exactly. because The, the life-giving forces. Life yeah. Giving and that flood happens force. fast, right? So that flood is like a it's giant earth. ejaculation. And earth is male. <laughs> yeah. Earth is gab. Yes, yes. So yeah, it's And like, the flood is male, of course. So the, yeah, male. The river's male. New life is... Birthing. So that's the other thing about the nature in Egypt, is that it lends itself very well to an ideology of patriarchy mm -hmm. in which... The male is the... The male is everything. The life giver. Yeah, except the sky. Uh, way up there is mm -hmm. Newt. She gets to be... Watching. <laughs> yeah, it's unusual. Without rain, you can have the sky goddess. Mm -hmm. With rain, it's always going to be a sky god. Yes, because it's... Thunder and lightning. Yes, Rawr. Zeus and yeah. Baal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's yeah, that is interesting to think about. We have a bunch of animal-headed gods popping up. So yeah. we have, you know, animal gods in their animal forms. Mm -hmm. Um and this is old, That's right? Old. So the Sphinx, we still don't know when it was carved. Don't you tell me it was 10,000 years old. I don't need no. that. The outcropping is millions of years yeah, old. Yeah, it's a rock. And I'm sure that outcropping looked like a lion for yeah. eons um, before a bunch what, of they patriarchs. They it into something or they leave exactly, it there. So. Before they Mount Rushmore'd it. Yeah. I'm sure it looked like Someone a, was like, hey, that looks like a Sphinx. And it was like, great idea. Like... Let's like seriously, so. think of the Sphinx as Mount Rushmore, that it was this sacred outcropping that looked mm -hmm. like a lion. And then they claimed it, carved Kufu into it. Kofre was mm -hmm. like, let's do it. It's like, it's like a sin in a way, taking mm -hmm. that sacred stone. But the idea of a, of a human-lion hybrid is on point. So we have, yeah, all the animal-headed gods mm -hmm. we see popping up. Osiris is green, black skin. Yes, yes. Often, and Osiris, like the corn mummies. Yeah, that he's pop vegetation. Up. He yeah. is. But I also like to think of Osiris as money. <laughs> money grows on trees, yeah. you know. The Egyptians grow their grain. He's the That's grain money. god. Yeah. He's he, he's got to have that green skin, like the first shoots of the mm -hmm. of the grain. That's Osiris coming, coming back earth. to life. Yeah. Yes, and everything is sexy. Oh, I it's mean, all like, sex. You know when they say if you live on a farm, you know what sex is. No one even has to tell you. Or that scene in Outlander. 
Uh, oh, which when one? They, well, when Claire There's and Jamie so sex. have sex for the first time, yes. he flips her over and he says, like, oh, this is how animals do it, like, to rut. Yes. And she's like, uh, like, no. Oh and God. he's like, well, this is the only sex I've seen is <laughs> farm animals because he's, like, you know, a useful young virgin. Because oh, it was his first time. Because he was a virgin and stuff and Claire was the more experienced scene. one. I have, to, I have to watch that again. But, I'm going to I'm gonna have to look back at season one. But it was funny because, like, he was like, I've only seen animals do it. But my point was, Jordan, was it? That can be our outtake. <laughs> <laughs> Amber, Amber's giggling. <laughs> but my, I remember that scene. <laughs> but my, how did I forget it? Maybe I didn't watch it. I don't know. How do you forget a scene like that? But, like, that's one way of doing it. But, <laughs> but my point is that, <laughs> that um, everything is highly sexualized. Yeah. And you know how... You read the Bible and God spoke and, yeah, he's he's all by and he separated the earth from the waters and blah, blah, blah. And he's all by himself and he's a mind, you know, yeah. and it's just all so clean and cerebral. The Egyptians are like, screw this clean and cerebral it's shit sex. and get right to the sex. And if you only have one being who can only have sex with himself, then he has sex with himself. He has sex with his female element, which is his hand, mm. the jarrett, yep. and he jacks himself off. And he creates himself with that ejaculation. Yeah. And then he's able to create other things with he his spits. sneeze, with his spit. Yeah. First, he sneezes and creates an empty void in which to put stuff, a light-filled empty void. And then he sneezes and he creates all of the, the wetness. Or sorry, yeah. spits and creates spits. all the wetness. Yeah. And um, then they have sex. Then and those then two are divin divinized, so have sex, and it goes from there. But the Egyptians don't shy away from... What, the, I mean, it's not... The farm animal, natural. like the farm animal of prodigious sexual abilities, able to create more offspring and labor. And that's, life. that's the way the Egyptians see wealth. That's the way they see creation. And that's the way they depict their God. It's almost like, you know, you think of Amun Min mm -hmm. um, and the oldest Egyptian monumental statues. Our statues of men. First monumental statues are of a God masturbating. With right? his, well, his hands on his junk. Right. His, and he is. What's he doing? He's he's masturbating yeah. himself to life, the Egyptians to life. But it's almost like the Egyptians saw the strong bull able to produce all kinds of offspring. And if you had a strong bull, then you were you were super wealthy. You could pimp that bull out. Well, and you only need one bull. You only need one you could bull, have, and you get a bunch of other. You have all your cows. Lady cows. And and maybe you could pimp that bull out. And other people were like, I want your bull semen. He's the best. Mm -hmm. But the Egyptians were not shy about commodifying divinity in that way because I actually think showing the god Amun Min with a big giant erect phallus is kind of like livestocking your god. It's kind of like this god can create like that horse or that bull. Mm -hmm. It can create all of this bounty, all of this wealth. It's kind of like a prosperity gospel today where if you see a rich person in an evangelical church, yeah. you're like, God has blessed them, Yeah. right? So you see this big dick men, you're like, <laughs> he is the blessed God and he has blessed us. Well, and, and like the land, everything's going yeah. well because of the God being. But it's super old school well livestock thinking, yeah. you know, it's, it's old school farmer thinking. And the way, like, if you and I were to go hang out with a bunch of horse breeders and the kind of crazy oh, shit oh, that goes oh, down yes. in those kinds of places where people are jacking off their animals, no shit. Yep. I mean, this is kind of what the god Amun Min is or Amun like, Ray or yeah. Atum Ray. Mm -hmm. They're all like big, I think of them as big, giant, penile livestock gods. <laughs> yeah. To, so, yeah. To keep things going, yeah. to keep... The economy going to keep, you know, Egypt prospering and functioning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if Osi uh, no, Osiris is. Well, you also need to keep the god happy because then otherwise yes. he'll can, he can be, you know, displeased and go elsewhere and then you don't get his big dick energy. You need his big dick energy. That's so Egyptian religion is big dick energy. Big dick energy. <laughs> oh my God. It's true though. And it's big dick energy that is totally commodified and, and works for the man. It's yep. like. Pre-capitalist big dig energy. Big dig energy. Oh wow. Hashtag BD. I think that's the name of this. <laughs> this episode. episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, well, so one of the theories, one of the origin theories of why civilization coalesced or cultures coalesced into Egypt mm. is the hydro I can't say it. Hydraulic yes. theory by Butzer. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Butzer undercuts the um, hydraulic theory. Yes, but it's a, initially Whitfogel, right? Yes, yes. But explain that theory, and, and then I just want to get to, do you agree with it or not? Right. So, um, succinctly explain yes. the hydraulic theory posits that by controlling the water and irrigation and keeping the water and, and extending your farmland, that exercise of, of controlling labor and doing all of that work creates strongmen that will then become kings. Mm -hmm. And so by working the Nile to intensify production as much mm -hmm. as possible hydraulically, we create kings. Yep. So the, the need to control the water, create mm -hmm. basins, mm -hmm. canals, whatever, you need to then kind of coalesce into a hierarchy and someone needs to be in charge and and you need a lot of labor to do all these things too and then you therefore then get a uh, you know a stratified society yeah culture yeah and and so what do i think of it yeah is and and this is not me this is not something that i really study so i i read from my betters on this one and for people who work on hydraulic um uh Labor and I think obviously and we know it's never just one thing. It's no, like there's never going to be a prime mover. This is why we always have kings. never. It's never always one thing. Humans are messy. We're you know? very it's messy, be some but I messy think thing. it's an interesting thing to think about. That right. you know, one of the maybe reasons why we ended up, you know, coalescing into large, settled society is for controlling water. Yeah, especially I, in places where water isn't as plentiful. I think Egypt maybe nah. nah but like in Mesopotamia, where like you have maybe less, and it's you still know. decentralized in a city-state yeah. way. But yes, the city of Ur could have been created or centralized because of the need for hydraulic. Yeah. Uh, I keep wanting to say hydraulic power. I want to Hy keep saying hydrolonic, and I'm like, that's, that's space. <laughs> that's hyaluronic. Hyaluronic. <laughs> that's so funny. But I kept um, was like, that's we a both swear by hyaluronic acid. Yes. It's very oh, important. Glycerin yeah. is what ah. I learned. Is yeah, where I it's heard at. it. Glycerin, glycerin is good. Um, I know we, we were told this, but okay. So the, um, hydraulic the, theory, you know, the river, I argue that the river allows an easier authoritarianism mm -hmm. and regional control of all of Egypt than other places. At the same time, the Nile also allows Egypt to splinter off into decentralized pockets Which and it see. does so seasonally. And it's easy. Yeah. So and it doesn't fully collapse then. Sometimes it's local. Sometimes it's unified. Sometimes it's local. Sometimes it's unified. But the other thing that people that work with hydraulic understandings of water management in Egypt know is that it's not that hard, apparently, to dig some canals or to move water here yep. and to keep some water there. And it doesn't take masses of men to, to yeah. create these things. And because it doesn't take masses of men, you can do so locally with, with a couple of villages maybe working together or maybe even just your neighbors in one village mm -hmm. and you can get what you need and then you're done. So that yeah. doesn't mean a kingship. It just means community. Yeah. Working together. The yeah. one thing I do think I've, I've heard about this kind of theory is for like the basin system in Egypt, which we'll talk about a little later that you would kind of need to know when your neighbor was going to mm -hmm. to cut the basin to like the Ajmer's show up as really important titles early on yeah. because you it's like a down the line thing so it needs to be kind of orchestrated by someone in control I will say that you have the scorpion mace head which shows king scorpion Ajmering Ajmering he's there god is ho yep. and he's he's working on the different ditches yes. so it's got to be connected Important. to kingship in some way and the people who had the best basins probably had the best second harvest mm -hmm. and maybe the second harvest is there for the flax and the, and the things that are more commodified further maybe yes the desert. and so i'm i'm not saying that there's nothing here but to it's see it is so formative and all be all. Yeah. yeah so carl butzer is like undercutting it and saying no it's you know, there's always local control of, yeah. of these rivers. It's not necessarily associated with kingship. That's fine. Um, but I think there's... to think about. Yeah. I think just even just greater environmental exploitation mm -hmm. that we need to kind of be... You can't just do it by yourself, right? It yeah. needs to be of a larger system at play. I think that Egyptian systems need to be large. That if you're... If you're in Greece and you're trying to live on your hard scrabble farm waiting for it to rain, mm -hmm. you can't have too many people. 
more people is a liability. How are you going to feed them? You need just, you don't have, you might have big families, but not like massive big families. In Egypt, you need, you need the big family because when the Nile waters recede, you need your big family of sons to come out there and be like, no, this is our land back off and you guys go away and, and, and you're able to take things over. And I think that's why in Egypt, things tend to um, coalesce into ever bigger monopolized structures, mm-hmm. institutions that are too big to fail, if you like, and and keep keep growing yeah. um, and becoming the Facebook of social media mm-hmm. or the Boeing of 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 the airline industry, yeah. things like that. Yeah. So airplane, airplane. industry. Yeah. That's good. Um, so, what other ways can you think of? that the Egyptians altered their environment. We'll get into like negative altering mm-hmm. in a second. Um, but I'm just thinking of, I have a couple things I pulled out of my, so we talked about about- Out of your what? Out of my brain. <laughs> um, canals and basins. And I have the scorpion mace head bringing up that point. We mm-hmm. talked a little bit about measuring the Nile, right? So that they had these Nileometers mm-hmm. about- um, I also was thinking about the Middle Kingdom interaction in the Fayum, right? The, yeah. One of the rationales that's been argued for why they moved the capital to the Fayum and... New land. New land yeah. that they're exploiting, that there's, you know, a canal being made connecting the Fayum to the Nile and new cultivation land. It's and, late period, but you have the, the beginnings of the Suez Canal. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Where you can actually connect the sea to the river. Yeah, um, that's major. To tributaries is huge. Very major. Um, maybe starting with the Persians, maybe a little bit before, maybe a little bit after. Yep. But um, that's a big that's change huge. of the environment. Um, I was thinking too, like Hatshepsut bringing in foreign plants into, yeah. and then like even T3's festival hall, where you have a lot of, of these non-native species being exhibited, brought mm-hmm. in from outside. And whenever you, you know, invasive species is so big nowadays, but just... Well, yeah, if wheat and of. barley are invasive species, I mean, Egypt makes its livelihood off of those yeah. those things. Most of what Egypt does is rather natural. Mm-hmm. They work well with their environment, but they control what they've been given. Yeah, you don't have a lot of like, like, like they're not mining to the point where it's like stripping the land no. and, you know, like they can't, are. They don't have much to deforest. There's, there's yeah. not a whole that lot was, there. I had a question about that later on. Right. Like, Amr's dissertation too. I was I was reading through it, and there is some evidence for like again non-native Egyptian species, like not even like like we're talking like non-native as in very foreign, not like oh barley's originally from the Fertile Crescent, but that like a lot of fruits and stuff that weren't cultivated in Egypt ever showing up in some instances. So you know yeah. trade bringing in a lot of things. Or the plants themselves, the plants pomegranates, themselves. I don't think, are native to Egypt, for instance. Yeah. But, you know, it's changing the environment, but it's not changing it to an, oh, sorry, I did that. But it's not changing it to the extent of, like, building the Aswan High Dam, Yeah. right? And you don't get a dam in Egypt. The only thing I can think of is I wonder, I mean, I don't know how we would check this, is if they're making, like, artificial gazeras, like, building up land mm-hmm. to be safe from inundation where they're building up this land, which would naturally also happen over time with like tells kind of building up right over thousands of years. And like, yeah. you know, Karnak, we know from Middle Kingdom that the, it was more kind of like an island. And then right. now it's, and then, you know, in the New Kingdom, it becomes more just part of the East Bank. Um, if there was any like intentional building up of these higher grounds, there, there has to have been. There must have been. Um, and, you know. And they had temples on Elephantine granite rocks. Too. So they knew that these this was the great place to build a big granite outcropping yeah. so that if you surround something with, with stones that you're going to create a higher ground yeah. that's more. Right, like in Memphis, yeah. like kind of, or even like ports. Yeah. You know, if you're thinking in the, in the Delta. Yeah, so like looking, at a, yeah, looking at a city like, as you say, P. Ramses, I say P. Ramses, your sorry, yeah. but your pronunciation is probably more on point for the late um, Egyptian way you're meant to pronounce or it. even earlier. Yeah, but you're talking about like a Mexico City kind of mm-hmm. way of like living in the, in the water. Yeah. Exactly. And they must have created false earth in a sense, well, built it up so that you could put your palace there, of years, your temple there. Yeah, yeah. change radically. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And just yeah. where the Nile goes changes over the thousands of years. So where the Nile was in the Middle Kingdom was not where the Nile was in the late period. No, not so that the kind Egyptians of have to change. did that, but they must They have... didn't do it, but you have to react to it. Yeah. Um, one wonders if when the Nile started to move and they didn't like it, if there's mm -hmm. anything they could do about it. I don't think so. I have to think, too, that, like, their cultivation of the soil and the building up to the river would mm -hmm. would probably keep it from moving somewhat. Yeah, maybe. It right, like, on once Karnak is, like, there, you'd have to, like... I don't know how the much stones, yes. to have it like undermine the integrity of the buildings. Mm -hmm. um, I think and the you can flood cut the was channel mild deeper, enough. like what they do nowadays, right? They they go through and cut the channel dredge. deeper. They dredge it, right, to get at. Yeah. So, like, I don't know if you could do anything like that to keep your canals or make more canals so that when if the Nile floods too much, it doesn't outflood the yeah. flood plain, but floods into the canals and, and put canals around the area you somewhere want else. to, to you store keep that water dry. elsewhere. And I, use I it imagine over the these year. things could be done. But I mean, so I think I'm, a lot of water management things, technique strategies, right? A lot of canals, basins, yeah. wells yeah. were probably employed to manage maybe large Nile floods and also to have more water if there was a low Nile. I mean, Jordan, if they're able to drain the Fayum yeah. to farm, which is a permanent marsh, right? Like a lake yep. area. Then I have to imagine they're able to build canals around things to oh, keep yeah. them dry even during the yeah, flood. Like moats and, the, and things. Yeah. yeah. Or even that giant hole at Dira Medina that everyone thinks yeah. is a well. Yeah. Like that hole is huge. Yeah. They were looking, doing something, trying to find water, find the There's water no table. There's no flooding there. They're looking for water. They're looking for the water table. It's an unsuccessful yeah. well. But obviously, but I'm saying like they can do that other places. Yeah. It's a big hole. Yeah. They were digging deep. And they have enough people to do yeah. these things. Yeah. So I, I think that using the water to change the landscape also meant for the Egyptians using that water to bring stones mm -hmm. to change mm -hmm. the landscape. So you could create temples that that can be seen from far away and obelisks that, that can be seen from far away. And you can even float stones Right to, up to the pyramids. Right, to create Those a are mountain made docks of stone. or keys or whatever they're called. Yeah. But you can create a mountain out of stone. Mm -hmm. That right there is an, is an extraordinary thing. Yep. And they change the landscape in that if you go to the Giza Plateau, there are three mountains there, two of them 50 stories, and one of them not so much. But it's, so um, it's kind of insane yeah. that, that that even exists and that they're able to change their landscape. That's why... When I was talking about this geography at the beginning, I'm like, there's this weird ambivalence in, w in which the Egyptians are like, the gods gave us this. This is something we live within. And yet they live within it to create things that show they can change a landscape. Well, it's also that the gods gave them maybe the power to control yeah. it and yeah. place them above it. and For, for that 1% yeah. that's able to then build these structures it's it's a way of using the landscape in the most authoritarian way possible to to show what they're able mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. 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 So. So interesting. I was like, what other ones can I think of? Okay. So then do we have any evidence for them affecting the their environment negatively? And so I had some ideas, like obviously canals, basins, and dams can mm -hmm. always become too much, right? If you're damming the Nile too much, like we can maybe think of today. Certainly today. we have today. all these dams coming up and it's going to... It'll destroy the environment. Destroy completely. people of water yeah. and the environment. And you know Amr's work yeah. on this, that he's able to show that the isotope of the Nile River now changed. Is, has changed so much that it has become like a sludge-like, non-moving, non-lifelike. It's, it's not a healthy it's not thing. Happy. Yeah. And I didn't understand that there were different isotopes for water that shows how fresh or or um, how much it moves. I, I didn't mm -hmm. know any of this. But the isotope of the Nile water is such that it will be hard for it to sustain life. Which is why you said, oh, they need fertilizers and yeah. all these things now because it doesn't have the same nutrients it once did before pre-dam. Yeah, the, I right. mean, the fertilizers I always tie and to... And the fertilizers are just nitrogen, which are bad yes. for the water anyway, that wash back into the water. And but there's something about the water itself and how active that water is, mm -hmm. minus Oxi the fertilizer, the minus the silt and all of that discussion. Yeah. That's just how much oxygen, how much yep. movement that water gets. And, 
and how yeah, what kinds the of sun interacts too with it. Yes, and, yeah. and how what kind of life can be sustained mm -hmm. in that, and that you can actually slow that river down so much that it creates a it different lake-like sort of existence that can't grow the fish and the plants mm -hmm. and the things that that need to yep. be in there. So um, yeah, moving waters. And Amr tells us when he saw those readings. He just sat down and cried because he was like, oh, my God, my Nile River is dying. Yeah. And compared it to the ancient readings, it was like night and day. Yeah. I don't know the numbers. I'm not an isotope expert. And we'll put Amr's articles in the show stuff, notes. Yeah. 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 So I have, yeah, some of Amr's work. Obviously, they, yeah, anything to excess and can this be is, detrimental. Oh, this is Amr Shahat. Amr Shahat. Amr Shahat. Dr. Amr Shahat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He just, just finished. Mm -hmm. um, deforestation, not that there's that much trees naturally in Egypt, but I'm assuming they probably did cut a lot of them down. They must have. That, and that yeah. affects erosion. Yeah. And um, Kate Liska's work at Wadi El Houdi recently found that um, they were using a lot of local wood at the mining yeah. sites, and then suddenly it switches to all imported. So it's wow. seemingly like they used, exploited all of their local wood sources, and then they were shipping it in from the valley. Because they didn't have any. Because they didn't have any more. I mean, you think of the so. the kinds of big ostentatious wood use that you see in Egypt, and it's almost always ships or coffins. Mm -hmm. And the ones that I always think of are the Rishi coffins, which are made of whole logs yep. of wood, which is rather wasteful because like you're taking the entire center yeah. out. I'm sure they're going to use it for something else, but you keep the the entirety of the log. And when when you're in an Egyptian village, we all know this who've been to Egypt. When you're in a village and you're near a tree, there's no lightning. You know, no one's worried about the tree. Everyone gravitates towards the tree. Yeah, the like tree is this center. beautiful thing. It's shade. Mm -hmm. It's coolness. The it's, birds flock to it. The birds flock there. It's where you can have your marketplace. Yeah. The tree is everything. If you're a king who cuts down the goddamn tree to put your body in and then you are you inside are the tree, yeah, it's like... You are Osiris, you're encased in the tree, mm -hmm. but also you get to take everyone's tree and they have to mourn not only for you, but their tree mm -hmm. that took 300 years to grow in that village. That's like, it's the hyper selfishness of patriarchy at its apex. Yeah. And to see it associated with kingship so clearly, it's like, it's just perfect for mm -hmm. me that you see that kind of deforestation, maybe on a more local level, yeah. but in support of kingship. And it's also this like pre-capitalist sort of That's understanding. My yeah. It's my tree. Yeah, I own it. And I only see value in it when you guys don't get to have it and when it's cut down for me. Yep. And yeah. then there's value in it. Otherwise, no, it, it, you guys true. can have a marketplace under it. Screw you. My tree. Yeah. 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 So perhaps some deforestation that would have been negative, even to like thinking of just like all the mining operations yeah. in the Sinai, like... All that's melting requires fuel. And it produces slag and all kinds yeah, of toxic. It could be really bad. Um, heavy metal so arsenical things. Yeah. You know, um, like dung as fuel yeah. or trees where they're getting all this charcoal Smoky from. Smoky lung. Yeah, obviously that could, yeah, all the <laughs> yeah. mining is not good for you. Um, and I was thinking just also monocultures. I don't know if, because the inundation is so good. Yeah. If just growing wheat repeatedly on the same soil, if it would have depleted it like it we think today, um, if there was any like need for crop rotation. But I think just because the inundation always brought new nutrients to the land, right. I don't think they had that problem. I think you're dealing more with a loss of nutritional health. Yeah, instead. just eating bread isn't eating like bread, the drinking best for beer, you. eating bread, drinking beer. You know, lots you, of cavities. <laughs> you got to have that that side cultivation of onions and, and cucumbers, cabbage, cabbage, cucumbers right? cabbage, yeah. watermelons, um, of course, are from the min lettuce and things like that. Lettuce, yeah. You need watermelon. all those other things. And if you're just surviving on this commodified, can't eat, um, grain, bread. it's tough. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it gets worse when Egypt is taken over by colonialist third parties. Well, cause then they're exploited for their grain. Exactly. Yeah. So then when you they're have like, Ptolemaic, make grain. <laughs> yeah, when you have Ptolemaic Egypt and it becomes the breadbasket of the Mediterranean and they just, you know, privatize the shit out of yeah. that. And like, that's all we want from you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, then I think it would have been a real problem yeah. mm -hmm. for its people. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So that's the only kind of major thing. So for the most part, probably lesser impact, obviously, than we do today, but even maybe comparable to, I think, you know, in more like the Roman Empire, there's a lot more instances of, of Rome having a much greater impact on yeah, I agree. species going extinct and... 
Well, there's a lot of species but we going say extinct, Egypt though. Too. There are. The but leopard, is it, I always the lion. wonder if it's more just, you know, in the savanna wet phase when it's transitioning to the more arid. Maybe. If it was a more natural thing. But there's no hippos thing. or crocodiles anymore That's true. They either. do. They, They're gone. That's true. They're they did, gone, yes. and you have those further down. That's a fair point. Okay, so hippos, mm-hmm. croc- crocodiles, they probably hunted I mean, fairly. that many people are going to, they're going to have an impact. It's going to change the landscape. And I, I also think desert animals were overhunted as well mm-hmm. and driven to extinction. So you don't see jackals? No. Like, ever? No. Um, all the, and the wild dogs, in addition to the jackals and other, yeah. other things. Um, well, and I know just, like, bringing in cats. Apparently hawks. cats are apparently, like, really awful for most environments oh i didn't know like that. outdoor cats yeah apparently just like kill like natural just for cycles because they kill all these animals mm-hmm. and then those are like what feeds you know like i know apparently in australia like cats they've been telling people to, like not let your cat outside because they're just like really harming the natural cycles and they things. don't have cats natural so i guess and new world in australia you really shouldn't have cats necessarily yeah. but yeah so they weren't part yeah. of the cycle mm-hmm. initially so Maybe. But we do have some evidence for more broader climactic yeah. changes happening. Wait, can I go back? Yeah. Can I go back before sure. you get there? So um, the other thing that I think the Egyptians did to change their environment, and I'm kind of getting jiggy with this, but bear with me, is to take the things that the environment does naturally mm-hmm. and to make them, to take them one step beyond. So if you put a body into the natural desert sands, it will be naturally mummified. So the Egyptians learn how to do that using naturally Mm -hmm. occurring natron salts and other things, naturally occurring resins. And they then take, they they manufacture it and take that one step beyond so they can do it without burying the body into the natural earth. And same token, if you have things that naturally exist in Egypt, like, um, precious stones or things that are that have a nice sparkle to them you can manufacture those things you can take steatite and you can glaze it mm-hmm. you can make faience and it's glass. of course in egypt yeah. in glass exactly that it's it's in egypt where faience steatite glazing and glass is really invented and perfected mm-hmm. and they're using their natural landscape and all of that mineral wealth to create as inspiration as inspiration and, yeah. and to make like a cheaper copy of it or even that, like those um where they paint the stone or whatever to look like yeah, granite, make it look like or, look granite like, or something. Yeah, look pretty. Yeah. So this this, this environment yeah. controls them too, and that's one of the other things that I talk about a lot in the article I wrote for the, our social history volume that we will put in the show notes. It's not published yet, anyway. But that the environment, when it's used to support somebody in power, it becomes a means of trapping you back Mm -hmm. so so if the king uses it to show i am so wealthy look at all of my glass i am so wealthy look at all of my uh turquoise and and then people are like well i want turquoise too i want this too and so to find a way to get all of that they will create fake turquoise fake glass fake beads that are not Mm -hmm. lapis but are actually glass and and those kinds of industrial creations can be very harmful for the environment. High heat is needed. Lots of toxic waste was likely produced. Well, yeah, all that orpiment um, and stuff, that's absolutely, poison. Absolutely. And so there's, um, it, it's interesting that the Egyptians are taking inspiration for their environment, benefiting as rich people in the first like, you know, 500 years of using that environment, and then are like, well, we want to chain this. We want to control it. Mm-hmm. In a way, damn it. Um, yeah. channel it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so there's there's all of that like focus that, it yeah. exactly that that goes with this and mummification like think of it you're living in a village and you see the rich guy uh, who owns all of your land that you're sharecropping whose mummy is being brought by and your son asks oh, mommy why is that guy got a weird body and you're like no no he's mummified his body will never break down okay yeah you know how when we bury grandma <laughs> and you, or, or whatever, you know, yeah. you know how when the cow dies and it just decays, well, this man's body will never be like that. Well, what about my body? What about your body? No, no, we will decay. We don't get that. Or we go to the desert or who knows yeah. what the poor people got. But to manufacture a mineral dependent, ge- geographic dependent, social separation, mm-hmm. Egypt allows that. 
It's like yeah. Egypt gives the one percent the glass slipper, and yeah. everyone or the or the really nice Prada bag, they have the and everyone to else is like, yes. everyone else is left up. Everyone so else is like, like we gods. don't get that, do we? We I just guess don't the gods get that. Didn't bless me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of creepy the way so much of this wealth can be channeled to the very few. So we do have evidence for climactic mm-hmm. changes, disasters possibly mm-hmm. happening. Um, so. In this case, not human-induced, yeah. um, just natural climactic changes. Um, so what What do we, one, what are those? And we'll go through them. And then two, you know, how do we know they affected the Egyptians? What do we see the effects are? What are the effects? And all these things. And whether or not, you know, to what degree it affected them and... All these types of things. So there's slow ones and quick ones. Yes. Right? And your your slow ones would be like famine. Yeah. Um, I mean, this this is kind of hard because Egypt... High Niles versus low Niles. Yeah. Have so major the, effects. you don't get any monsoon rains. The Nile yeah. doesn't flood. Everybody starves. The government collapses. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to happen. And Whoever it's gonna has happen like, repeatedly. you know, a nice granary full of grain as mm-hmm. backup is going to do a little better. Yeah. Who could dole out that grain. Yeah. And then there's like, it doesn't rain in, in Eastern Europe. Everyone starves. Everyone gets in their boats. Everyone comes to around yeah. the Mediterranean into Egypt. Bronze Age collapse. Yeah. Governments collapse yeah. in the North at least, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't even have to happen in Egypt yeah. climactically for it to be a, a problem. part of a global system, yeah. right? Yeah. So even, I mean, if so we're starting at the beginning, we have the savanna used to be really wet yeah. and moist mm-hmm. and lovely and then it started drying up, yep. aridification, yep. and that's one of the reasons we're always told of why people moved into the Nile Valley and right. settled. It's because everything was getting unlivable out there mm-hmm. in the savanna and in the Sahara Desert, and you go And yet the they valley. were able to hunt, or, hunt and gather for mm-hmm. millennia even after that transition, and it wasn't until 5000 BCE at the earliest, according to the work of Vilika Ventrich in the Fayum, yep. um, who found the earliest carbonized, domesticated mm-hmm. grain in Egypt. And that's pretty damn late in comparison to the rest of this, this uh, Mediterranean basin, yeah. 5000 BCE, Definitely because you have it. Anatolia going all the way back to 12,000. Mm-hmm. Um, 12,000 12, BC, right? Not even years ago. I think, yeah, it's pretty 10. Yeah. Yeah, like all the animal domesticates are being pushed around yeah, 10, 12. So. Yeah, it's it's yeah. amazing. It's pretty, um, pretty long ago. Yeah, but Egypt had, again, unique example where they could kind of hunter-gather for more. And fish. And fish and yeah. live off the land and didn't need to really um, exploit it in the same way yet. Right. They, I mean, they, they still would have had the flood. So one wonders if there was some... Horticulture. I was going to say, you can like dabble with agriculture, exactly. but you're not, you know, you can weed and like, oh, I like these plants. And, and look at like, these we'll wild grasses the other ones. that have yeah. come, up, come up since the mm-hmm. inundation waters have receded. We will chow down on these for a while. So you can probably get away with that for a while. Wild long time. animals and pens that might yeah. not be fully domesticated yet, like goats or mm-hmm. other. And then some dude animals. brings some seeds and they're like, no, these. Like, taste his bread. <laughs> you know, put this, put the bread was probably gone. Stale. But, but still, put put these in the ground yeah. and see what happens. And they put them in the ground. They're like, oh, my God, this like, is awesome. It's like for, it's food. Uh-huh. And, and, and nice. hunt for it. Nice, big, fat, it. juicy grains rather than wild things that are always skinnier yeah. and not as nice. It always blows my mind that, like, the wild progenitor for, of corn, it looks just like a piece of grass. It's crazy. And, like, we altered yeah. it to make corn it, it, <laughs> maize and like have these huge kernel seed pods i mean it creeps me out when i look at a wolf and then i look at a yorkie oh i know and, <laughs> sometimes like, i just be. you are not and that they could breed it's crazy absolutely yeah. crazy yeah the effects so those are the long-term yeah. climactic effects and then and then short term yes yeah, so there's drying or yeah. there's drought no. or whatever yeah. but then short term would be like Earthquakes. Earthquakes, for sure. Volcanoes. Volcanoes having, so like Joe Manning's work. Yes. Um, in Ptolemaic Egypt, where he's studying the effects of massive volcanic eruptions. Right. Like on the other side of the globe. Right. Um, and seeing, and that he's been able to tie them to shifting monsoon seasons, right? Because there's too much, you know, ash in the oh, air and yeah. stuff. And then the Nile floods then suck. Yeah. And that it, he's linked it 
with the you know Ptolemaic dynasty kind of falling apart and not it's doing amazing. so well, yeah, because there was an earth uh, massive volcanic eruption in like uh, Alaska, and it you know the whole it shifts the whole entire global climate. Um, That's insane. Mm-hmm. And they're doing ice coring and all this stuff, and you can see that these. Does huge... he know why we're dealing with the worst drought in twelve hundred years in Southern California? I think he would say it was humans' fault. <laughs> Probably. Probably. But Probably. it's. I mean, it's the El. It's what El Nino or El Nino just yeah. keeps coming. We never get the other one. But because I think it's the because heat of patterns keep holding, the, and the jet streams are off. Yeah. Effed up, and the water's too warm, and it's just all this stuff. And then we also have Nadine Moeller's work at mm-hmm. Edfu with the 4.2K BP event. Can, right? you, can you explain this to me, please? Well, so this is, again, one of these more global yeah. events where we have a... This is the end of the Old Kingdom. End of the Old Kingdom, first intermediate period, um, where we see, a, on a global level, more aridification. But in certain places, it's wetter and cooler. And in other places, it might be hotter and drier. It's like very locally dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Egypt, we're having lower Niles, right. drier temp- like drier weather, um, hotter temperatures. So again, lower c- crop yields, yeah. less food. And then we see all this, that lamentation literature of people saying, I'm starving. We see like emaciated. People are eating people People here. are eating people, cannibalism. Um, and it's been linked to the collapse of the Old Kingdom. I think now... Not so much, because mm-hmm. it seems it's happening a little after, mm-hmm. like the height of it. And again, as with most things, you can't link it. It's never just one cause. I, I read a rebuttal to a lot of this in a brilliant article by mm-hmm. Ellen Morris mm-hmm. that I cite in, in my geography um, article, and we can put that one in the show notes. Amber knows which one it is. And she, she takes a very brave stance, because it's become quite fashionable, mm-hmm. it seems to say, Oh no, we can't blame everything on climactic change. There was no climactic change. And, and Ellen's like, no, no, there was. And there was also this. And there was also this. And it's messy. And, but it's there. And you can't say well, that there was no suffering involved with these kinds of oh, transitions. Yeah. And I think they're so interconnected, right? If you have one low Nile, maybe not that big of a deal. Yeah. You have a grain storage, no problem. Yeah. But if you have successive ni- low Niles, and then you maybe have a weak government, and then you're over, you know, these things, how you react to the situation could yeah. then make it a lot worse than maybe it could be if you had a different leader, um, you know, what your strategies are for adapting and dealing with the con- climactic condition. Yeah. You know, are you hoarding all the grain and not giving it to, out to anyone or are you dispelling it, but then you don't have any left for the next low Nile mm-hmm. and then someone takes advantage of your weakness and comes and conquers you. And mm-hmm. so there's so many different agencies of both human and immaterial objects acting upon each other that it's really hard to like in all kinds of technology agents and that includes technology of the shadoof or technology of of farming um and storage and how you Mm -hmm. can keep your grain clean and free of vermin technology of military how porous are the borders of egypt because people are going to come in and then take all of their grain like in the bronze age collapse or like you know the marna letters from hatusili with in anatolia you have them saying i'm there's a famine here can you send us grain we know you have so much grain and please help us and so there obviously was something going on in turkey um but it wasn't affecting Egypt. So you have, but then the long-term ramifications was that it eventually did affect Egypt because you had then, you know, sea peoples coming down and they even, you And know, no strong Hittite empire to counter yep. any of these things. Multiple so it's settlements all changes the geopolitics. It's exactly. all connected. So something even that, you know, doesn't affect you yourself, if it affects something adjacent to you, you'll yeah. still get, you know, some of the... It's like the wonderful cartoon where the, the Titanic effect. is sinking yep. too. I mean, snowball effect, yes, but then there's the people in the back of the Titanic mm-hmm. going, they say we're sinking. We're higher. And this is ridiculous. Yeah. We're so much higher than we ever used to be yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a climate change denial denialist mm-hmm. who's saying, it's so much colder than it ever used to be yeah. when I was growing up. Thus, there is no global warming and there's no climate change. Um, for people who are looking for monocausal reasoning or um, monolithic solutions, it, they're never going to be able to see any sort of complex systems yeah. because everything is a complex system. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the Earth does change naturally. Yes. But it's the speed at which it's changing and all these other things, you know, and our effects on all of that. Mm-hmm. It's very, very clear. 
Um, the other big evidence I have is the so everyone loves to talk about the Thera eruption. Yes. And whether Santorini. Santorini, modern day Terra yeah. or Thera, yeah. Um, Minoan culture. Blew up an island. Blew up an island. It's now in like nice little crescent shape. Everyone likes to talk about it within Egyptology at least because of its ability to date things. Right. So we're not gonna get into that. Because you get the ash layer and you're and able to find the, the ash layer. Is, and yeah, and yeah, yeah. When we can, so it's like a good fixed point to date things off of, but it, everyone has different datings of it and it gets yeah, really gross and messy. it's not a good fixed point. It's crazy. Well, because they're like dating it off long-term olive growth and all this other <laughs> shit. But we won't get into that. But one interesting aspect I have, I found that has been linked to the Thera interruption. Yeah. We can talk about whether we believe it or not too, because I don't think it necessarily has to be Thera, um, is the Tempest Stela. Which is 18th dynasty? Which is very early 18th. Late 17th. Yeah. 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 Um, Found in the third pylon at Karnak. Gotta love that third pylon. He saved a lot of stuff. Um, And so it's this beautiful stela. And I have it here. um, I have it copied out here so I can read some of it. And so this has been linked by um, the late Robert Rittner and Nadine Moeller to Thera, and then it also gives you then a dating, because some people argue when Thera erupted, was it later in the 18th dynasty? If this is the Tempest, it's then early, very early, in, but it also could have been something else. Other people have linked it to earthquakes, other kind of more common disasters, I guess. But it goes, quote, I'm skipping the front part with all of Akmozi's titles and everything. But quote, the gods expressed their discontent the gods made the sky come with a tempest of rain. It caused darkness in the western region. The sky was unleashed more than the roar of the crowd. It was powerful on the mountains more than the turbulence of the cataract, which is at Elephantine. Each house, each shelter that they reached were floating in the water like the barks of papyrus of the royal residence for days with no one able to light the torch anywhere. Then his majesty said how these events surpass the power of the great gods and the wills of the divinities. And his majesty descended in his boat, the council following him, and the people at the east and the west, silent for they had no clothes. So they're all like naked and starving because all their houses got destroyed, I think. And they all washed away into the river. So his majesty set about to strengthen the two lands, to cause the water to be evacuated without the air of the help of his men. It was then that his majesty was informed, this is the interesting part that I want to read for class, he was informed that the funerary concessions had been flooded by water, hmm. that the sepulchral, sepul- I can't say sepulcher. that sepulcher chambers had been damaged, and that the structures of the funerary closures had been undermined and the pyramids collapsed. And I'm wondering if it's his pyramid at Bidos. Where is he writing? Where This, this is all in, in the Stila. But it's found in Thebes. It's found in the third pylon at Karnak. And it doesn't say when he talks about the sepulcher, the tomb, Mm-mm. what the word for the tomb is. We do have to read I know. this. Uh, yeah, I was like, we have to find the glyphs and see what yeah. all this stuff means. Because yeah. I was like, are the like, king's are the tombs in... Is like, it drawable not? Agar getting flooded yeah. and he's going through and all this stuff. And then so the rest of it I don't have here, but you know, he goes through and orders the repair. He lifts up. It's very beautiful language of like lifting things up that were toppled over... And like repairing all the temples throughout Egypt, and so yeah. So that's the, the so it's a stela, but it's not. It doesn't talk about. I know. I don't like. I think it just talks about a giant rainstorm r- that rains into all of the in yes, Egypt, and it rains in the desert, and it rains. You have torrential flash floods that. I mean, they situated tombs in the Valley of the Kings in certain ways so that they didn't get rain mm-hmm, in them. They knew. And Ramses II was like, screw that. I want my tomb where everyone can see it. And he put it right in a place where all the it's rainwater flooded. would flow And we have into. evidence of that. And, yeah. and now his tomb is in horrible shape and no tourists get to visit it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's water from the sky and so loud and all of that. Seems, yeah, that it was... Um, and like, it's in Thebes, probably. I mean, maybe Abydos. Maybe. Well, the, the other part that I didn't include in the beginning, it talks about how Akmos was in residence in this location that was south of Dendera, which I'm assuming is Dira Balas. Right. Which is cool. Right. Where, um, where um, Nick and Peter are mm-hmm. working. That's the coolest. Um, but they make it seem like it's happening all across Egypt. But again, this is a very, you know, a trope to make things 
And the king has to come in and rescue, rescue everyone. Yeah. Whether this is just like propaganda. And look to your leader. He will keep you safe mm -hmm. and all of these things, which is how the patriarchy. Patriarchy loves to make a mess out of the the horrific event after it's happened yeah. and after they can claim that they've fixed it. Well, even that recently. I and mean, that only they could have fixed yes. it. Yes. Yep. Yeah. That you needed them. Yeah. But recently. They had that awful rainstorm in Egypt and it was like all this flooding and there was then like a protrusion of rats because oh, all the wow. mice were escaping from the flooding and then there was all these rats everywhere and snakes then were coming because the rats. And this is in Egypt? Yeah, it was a couple months ago. There was really bad flooding in like Aswan. Oh my God. Like from just rain. Oh, I um, heard about this and everyone's like, oh, the rats in Egypt. Yeah. And I didn't and know what that was. And then all these like was. snakes came yeah. to eat the rats and there was like all these snakes everywhere. And I didn't, I didn't. They were um, all coming out of the valley. About this, up obviously. And it was just crazy. And it was yeah. really bad flooding. Wow. Um, so it's like if that happened mm -hmm. back then, mm -hmm. you don't, it doesn't rain there frequently. So you're not like, it's like when it rains here in LA, people are like, ah. Yeah. But like where I'm from back home, it rains like m more days than it's sunny. Right. So everyone's used to dealing with flooding and rain and driving in the rain where here it rains like nothing and people are like oh my god how do i drive and freak out so yeah i'm assuming maybe that happened in egypt maybe the monsoons came a little bit more north i don't know i don't know and it's also possible that or some something other, off the mediterranean yeah some know. other event could have driven this rain i have but i, I have no idea I yeah. but it doesn't sound like an earthquake no, it doesn't really sound like an earthquake. I guess if Sierra erupted and they're saying the sky darkened. Mm -hmm. And I know there is linkage to volcanoes throwing so much ash and stuff into right, the that air. Right, it darkens everything. And that it can cause rain, yeah. like acid rain, um, just because it messes up all the, the jet streams and stuff. So maybe? It's funny. I and maybe just, I mean, if it, they probably did get some dark darkened skies and stuff from the volcano when it, whenever it did erupt yeah you know i was reading um a lot of the uh texts the um lamentations mm -hmm. that talk about how bad times were before yeah. the king came and fixed it because only us. he could fix it mm -hmm. and there's not a whole lot in there about natural disasters mm -hmm. or epidemics at all um, which is really interesting. Because he can't save you from he those. He can't save you from those. So <laughs> those are just divine will. <laughs> instead, what you get is the king saved us from these bad men and these mm -hmm. bad men and those people over there that weren't behaving, lots of rebels. I was a good nomad and had food for my people. Exactly. And so it's more about social human situations. The king might save you from a bad Nile, but you don't have any of these horrible discussions of, of when yeah. things really go batshit crazy in, yeah. in the climate because it's it's something that freaks people out too much that the authoritarian regime just avoids talking about entirely. And I find that um, rather yeah. on point for today mm -hmm. when things are so bad climactically, but, but governments don't like talking about it because they know that it will disrupt their power rather than and making people so afraid that it will help them. Yeah. 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 Yep, their bottom lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I liked that, and I was like, "Oh, we should read this." No, that's really class. Cool. It's interesting, and I want to just know what the words are used for all these funerary things. Yeah, we should read it. Um, and what's going on? But good. So we've mentioned this a couple times throughout, but your upcoming article about kind of approaching Egyptian geography from this new materialistic lens, um, which I really like, and I think it's a really cool lens to look at inanimate objects, right? Yeah anything um and how it affects the the other person involved in the situation so like for clothing i like to think about it like you know the way you can i think that i've mentioned this before the best case is like togas like well, how you wrap a toga and wear it has effects on how oratory is spoken right, right. you have to have your one hand holding your toga and you can only then speak with your other hand and right. that becomes the classic oratory um or linen, right? It doesn't take dye well, so you're not going to have then a cloth culture within Egypt that has a colorful, a colorful or you know, iconography depicted on their and their clothing. It's done a different way. Yeah. Um, so ways of representing um, the the objects themselves affect how humans can use them, mm -hmm. um, and it goes there for to the geography as well, which we've I think talked about throughout this whole episode. Yeah. But I think it's a cool take on it and i guess you don't see it happening right a lot on a on a big scale like the whole environment with a new materialism lens and i think that's it's hard to see cool because you're embedded in it it's hard to see because yeah. you're a part of it 
And the thing about the new materialism that I really like, well, you just discussed how you love the moon because it has an effect yeah. on us, right? But how many people say, you know, or, or think or don't even think that the, the natural world around them has an effect. What about the men in the world? Does the moon have any effect on them? Well, I dare say it does because I know my son doesn't sleep when there's a full moon. My out. cats go crazy when there's full moon. <laughs> and I swear to God, it's always with their full moon and they're always doing up to something. Really? Yeah. And I'm it's always so like, funny. something's up. But, and, and so the ancient Egyptians, I think, were, they were embedded in that world. I think that for the scholars who are studying the ancient Egyptians, who are so unembedded mm -hmm. in their natural worlds with their electric lights yeah, and their computers, and we, we, we forget how much these natural worlds control us and form us and how much agency they have go over camping us. Once. True. And it's like uh, such a different experience. And that what we do to the natural world then creates cages and traps that end up acting upon us. Mm -hmm. We think of agency as only being human agency when yeah. there's a whole Things lot of natural agency that, that works back upon us. Mm -hmm. So there's a storm that you mentioned in the Tempest Stila. There's the Thera eruption that destroyed an entire island. There's a lot of agency there, and I think it would be good to embed ourselves back into the world as natural animals. Maybe we can manufacture more changes. Maybe we can act upon that landscape in a different way than a tiger or a snake or a fish. Yes, we can, but that doesn't mean that we're not animals in a natural yeah. landscape. Well, I think a good example would be architecture. Yeah. You know, the Egyptians would have made their houses in a certain way Yeah, that was best suited for their weather and climate, right? Mm -hmm. So you have maybe tiny windows at the top. You're not having like big giant windows because you want to keep it cool. Yeah. There's sand blowing around. Yeah. You're using mud brick that keeps the coolness. You have maybe a flat roof because you're doing a lot of work on the roof. You're not going to build, bring in like, I don't know, like a ski chalet is not suited. But nowadays you can build, if you walk around any place in LA neighborhood, you see a, a ski chalet of architecture because <laughs> yeah. we have air conditioning and heating. Well, go to and Egypt you can and make you any ski chalet you want here. You can't build in mud brick in Egypt anymore. It's yeah. unsustainable and people build in concrete and the houses are not nearly as comfortable mm -hmm. as they used to be. These cinder block houses or whatever yeah. else they're, they're made of um, without any, without as little lumber as possible. Big windows. And, yeah. And yeah. So, you know, there, there are ways to try to separate yourself from your environment and pretend that you have agency over your environment. You can do that to some extent. But the, the point of the article was essentially to say that, and, and you know there's all of this criticism of geographic determinism, yeah. that, a, that a geography can determine a culture and can say this culture will be like this and these people will be like that. And that's not what I'm trying not, to do. Yeah, it's never black or white that obviously the humans still have the choice yeah. to respond or not to the environment, yeah. but that the environment does have an effect. It has much more of an effect than I think humans would like to admit. Yeah. And I think the environment has more of an effect than most leaders, including ancient Egyptian kings, would like to admit. They it's want to control. position themselves as the controllers of these mm -hmm. things, the inheritors of the bounty, but also as magicians who can make that bounty turn on or off at their whim. And that's not the way it works. Mother and, Nature yeah. says, mm -mm. hey, I'm in charge. Yeah. And that's like when a plague happens, like right now with COVID. You're Doesn't seeing, make the leader look very good. how it's playing out, right? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. That's why the movie Don't Look Up was so good. Yeah. I didn't watch it because I was haven't. like, no, because I thought it was going to be like too soon. No, it's so okay, good. Okay, it's cute. It's so good. And yeah. it, it, I watched it twice. It didn't upset me. Okay. Um, some people found it horrifically upsetting and depressing, but I didn't. I thought it's it supposed was... supposed to be, like, funny. It was kind no. of a Douglas Adams sort of spin, little absurd. Um, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I made Remy watch it. Remy hates it when I make him watch movies. He's like, I don't want to watch what you suggest. I don't want to listen to what you but suggest. But like it. I want to find it myself. And I'm like, "You, this is one where I'm going to make you watch yeah. it. And he's like, fine. And we watch it. So it was okay. But... Um, <laughs> yeah, if an asteroid was hurtling to the Earth. Yeah. I think... It, oh, but so the, yeah. the final conclusion of that article is that the geography lends itself, the geography of Egypt lends itself to social inequality mm -hmm. in a way that other places don't. 
and that that, but that, that it's a constant tension, that there is a centralizing process that the Nile creates when it's flooding, and there's a decentralizing process that the Nile River creates when it's not. So then you have a constant tension between king and elite, mm -hmm. and he needs his elites, because if he doesn't have loyal lieutenants, when the river cuts him off from them, and he, they're not at his court, but they're back in their homelands, he needs them to be acting on his behalf then. Yeah. So it's this constant, like, I don't have to listen to what you say. I have to listen to what you say. I don't have to listen to what you say. I have to listen to what you say. And it, it creates a very interesting political dynamic that works seasonally. Mm -hmm. And it works upon... It's wonderful to see a yeah. nature working upon an, a political system in the same way the moon works upon our wombs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. I think it's, it's amazing. Well, and just that, like, to touch on your point, when the Nile would be in flood, like, the king maybe would be going on procession yeah. you know, up and down checking in on places and eating all himself, their food drinking all their beer and, yeah give me know. some stuff let's put some stuff in the hold he, he would have Collect had a rotating court yeah. you know his palace is kind court of on the move. flooded he would have gone to court on the move and let's be like let's see what people have stored for the time let's of flood yeah. let's go and, and look around a little bit and just take shit wherever mm -hmm. we can uh, yeah I, I totally think that happened and people are like when, when the He's flooding coming. started they're like oh shit we better have stuff in storage. They're coming. Yeah. And he's going to bring his soldiers. He's going to bring coming. ways of getting what yeah. he wants if they don't want to give it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, they were just, he would just take it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to end this on more current events yeah. in Egypt. Yeah. And so we have, obviously, we have the, um, the high dam already in place, which we could talk a whole episode about that and the effects it had on the landscape and moving communities, li living communities, but also ancient structures that ended up in museums across the globe, having to move Abu Simbel, cutting into pieces. Yeah. It's just crazy to like yeah, watch the is. old videos of. It's crazy to even think that we did yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, but now there's a new dam going up yeah. in Ethiopia. Yeah, there's the Sudanese dam that's already there. Sudanese one. And then there's the Ethiopian one that is Renaissance going up. Renaissance high yeah. dam. Yeah. Um, and so this is going to, obviously they're down river yeah. Um, and the more damning no, down... No, upriver. Upriver, up sorry. Yeah, yes. no, it's okay. It's, up hard, river, it's easy to do. Um, from Egypt. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, you know, I think this calls into play, like, this whole, like, who owns the Nile? This I know this happens in um, West Asia as well with the Tigris and Euphrates, right? Yeah. They dammed it pretty high up yeah. in Syria. And then it's not as much water as going down into um, Iraq mm -hmm. um, and causing major issues there. So obviously there's no, I know there's a lot of shifting tensions because Ethiopia yeah. is not backing down because um, they there's need, no love they loss need the water. These places because Egypt has had so much mm -hmm. control oh, and power of population and resources for yeah. so long. And as the water flows through, they just watch the riches go to a place yeah. that is that is not theirs. So given those long-standing uh, political bitternesses, mm -hmm. there is um, interest in doing this Yeah, I to just, see what they can take. Um, and it's it's pretty depressing to it's see. It's sad, yeah. But I also get that Ethiopia needs water, too, mm -hmm. and needs to care about its people and... But, but then, it's also a hyperdevelopment too. Yes. And it's a hyperdevelopment that we don't necessarily need and that we certainly can't sustain. This is, yes. it's the same thing when I see, I was just asked in a lecture, what about the gem, the Grand Egyptian mm -hmm. Museum? It's this amazing place. It's, it's beautiful. It's huge. It is beautiful. It is huge. It is, it is technologically uh, advanced. It is too big. Necessary, it is, un mark. It yeah. is unsustainable. And there will come a point when one wonders if they will be able to keep the lights on or if the tourists will be able to walk from the entrance to yeah. where the pieces are because it is so big. They have to get like, little, little like, trainers or something. Little people movers. I mean, it is the, the interest in creating something so big and developing so much uh, and showing so much power can bite you mm -hmm. so hard. Well, it's like with the uh, drought here. Yeah. Instead of like addressing climate no, change. No, we're just sucking more from the Or they're saying, aquifers. oh, let's make a big pipeline from the Great Lakes. And yeah. it's like, like, what sense does that make? Yeah. It's such like such short term solutions. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, let's just take water from somewhere else. Because then like what when what happens when that water has gone and yeah. those people are using it? And yeah. it's or like, let's make. Well, whatever. We, I won't get on my. I know, um, I know. Box about that, but it's something's going to have to happen here. Yeah, you know, we have no water. People we should have, not have grass. I agree. 
I agree. I have grass in my front yard. I know, it's but a do tiny you water front it? Yard. We, we have sprinklers. Yeah. And so I, it's and like, I, yeah. And we need to turn them off like, and down and there needs to be a, a drought resistant covering yeah. over that ground. I, I totally just, agree. Not so much you guys, you don't have that much, but you see certain people's houses up in the super rich areas and it's like, they have like full yards of like manicured green grass. It's like, you should not have this. This is not the place. It's, it's totally and true. Egypt is, you know, with this, the damming of the Nile, it's not a easy solution Mm -mm. and i'm like it'll be interesting to see the ramifications long term and if the river dies it dies for everyone yeah and so it's going to be it's it's going to be an interesting time that when it's like a war is going to start yeah the patriarchal frenzy of trying to hoard and control is the thing that might undo it all Mm -hmm. and and where people will be like you know i think we have to take down all of these things and we're taking down dams here yeah, and bringing in, in back this country. Beavers, exactly, and the natural f- ways, and letting salmon go mm-hmm. spawn places where they should be spawning, mm-hmm. and yeah. So there, something's going to happen, but it's so interesting the way humans are that they push it to the nth degree. They just mm-hmm. push it, push it, push it, so that Until we have a, giant wars yeah. of one nation state against another nation state. Everyone claiming they get to have this stuff. And destroying it all for everybody. So you have to create a completely different solution. It's kind of like when little kids are fighting and it's like you don't want to share. Yeah. And you're like, well, I'll just destroy it so I don't, neither of us can have it. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's what patriarchy creates. It's Mm -hmm. what it does. And that's what we're seeing in between Russia and Ukraine or Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And that's what we're seeing with these dams. And it's just a bunch of little toddler boys trying to take everyone's shit and control it all so they can Mm -hmm. be the biggest, richest big dick energy on the block. Um, And it's really frustrating. And we can't keep going like this. The earth cannot sustain it. And development for what? Another stupid big ass building with another Lamborghini, Mm -hmm. another unsustainable bullshit petrochemical base, something or other. Another yacht. Oh, I don't care. So stupid. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it just makes me roll my eyes and makes me very disgusted. But um, you know, yep. it's we, we have to remember that we are animals on this earth mm-hmm. and that we depend on this earth in the same way that that the shrews well. in my backyard need it, the, yeah. that your pet animal depends on you for food. Yep. Um, we, we can't mess with this stuff for too much longer. Yeah. Can't be short-sighted. No. Need to be no. thinking long-term. Well, and hopefully this is reaching to you around Earth Day, so maybe you could try to go do something good for the earth, give back to the earth a bit, um, plant a couple trees. Let my grass die. Let your grass die. Yeah. If you have grass and you live in Southern California, get some rocks and succulents. Mm-hmm. They have such a cool other no, grass covering that's not, you know, drought resistant. It's so true. Um, so to go do something for the planet earth. And I hope you enjoyed our episode. We will see you all next time on Afterlives with Kara Cooney. Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with others and leave us a five-star review. Send us your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the show notes in the podcast section of my website, karakuniegyptologist.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books and upcoming lectures. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter to keep up on the latest news and content from me. Check out the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off by subscribing to our Substack Afterlives After Party. You can find me on Facebook at Kara Cooney Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Kara Cooney. See you next time on Afterlives with Kara Cooney.